Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brenda, and thank you to our teachers. Um, I am indebted to you um, and so thankful for you in teaching our children the ways of God. And so thank you for the time and commitment that that takes. Good morning, church. Good morning to those online. It's great to be with you today. And um, we are in our third week of the Heaven and Hell series. Yeah? If you've missed one, they're online. You can go and check those out because these really do all kind of connect to one another. We'll have a small sort of recap each week. But if you've missed one, do go back because these are all linked as we look at the big biblical story. Today we talk about sin and salvation. I don't know if you think about sin and salvation very often. What do we mean by sin? What do we mean by salvation? I was thinking of a story. One of my first memories, I think I was five years old, of sin. And actually, I was in Sunday school. And unfortunately, this is the one lesson when I was five in kindergarten that I remember from my Sunday school class. And I'm sure my teachers would not be excited that this was the one lesson that I remember. So we were talking about sin. And the teacher came forward with, a, with an envelope um, with a stamp that had not been sort of used. Like when you mail something, it goes through the system and it gets a stamp, so you can't use the stamp again. And this um, letter itself arrived to Erica and I this past week from, from Cody and his girlfriend, and it was mailed back in December. It was a Christmas card. And I don't know where it journeyed off to for six months, but it, it landed, and the stamp was not redeemed. And our teacher said, you know what's a sin is if you were to take that stamp off and to reuse it. <laughs> that was my lesson of sin when I was five years old. And I was thinking, okay. But even at five, I knew I had done worse things than that, right? And this stamp has not been redeemed. Actually, and it's one of these stamps that's, that's good. Um, even if the rate goes up, it still works. So I'm heading to the U.S. this summer. Pray for the moral choices that I make <laughs> with that stamp. But what are your ideas on sin and salvation? Does, does our salvation mean if I'm just a good enough person? Or do I just need to believe the right things? Is, is that what salvation is for us? What do we need saving from? What are we saved for and to? These are what we're going to unpack today. So uh, let's start with prayer. God, I thank you for your presence here today, that you are in fact present. And I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, helps to open up scripture for us, that you can bring it to our hearts and to our minds and to our lives to know how to understand and to walk these truths out. In your name we pray, amen. So just a quick recap on where we've been. We've been talking about this arc of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. In the beginning was creation, and it was good, and God gave us tasks as his image bearers to expand that kingdom outward into the entire world. But of course, we know the fall happened, and this 
cosmic rupture happen where sin enters the picture, idolatry enters the picture, instead of having God at the center of our lives defining good and evil for us, humanity wants to be able to do that on their own. And so they become their own gods, if you will, worshiping the creation instead of the creator. So they gave away their power to created things. They empowered these other things to be the center of their life. And we can understand and know the effects of the fall today. Last week, a shooting in Texas. There could be headlines over and over and over again, but we can know that this is not how God intended the world to be. We've looked at this image here on the left. This is the image that I grew up with. This was what I was presented with as sin and salvation. And we've talked a lot about that image. And and one of the problems with it is that it gives way too much weight to hell, that it makes my individual destiny the point of what Jesus did on the cross. And it portrays heaven and hell only as future realities when, in fact, we can experience both of them now. Judgment, on the other hand, looking at this image on the right, is this creation was God's heaven and God's earth completely overlapped. At the fall, those things are separated, and yet God's whole entire work, both in the Old and the New Testament, is to bring those things back together. And there will be an ultimate judgment when Christ returns and restores and redeems and reconciles all things. This N.T. Wright quote sums it up well. This creation, fall, and redemption is the only story that explains the way things were, the way things are, the way things could be, and the way things will be. Now that's a quick recap Um, that we've really unpacked the last two weeks. So we're going to jump into our passage for today from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. It'll be on the screen here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us in the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So verse 17 here, if we go back, Paul gives this amazing summary of Christ's work and the point of Christ's work and this reconciliation. And in the Greek, it's even more direct. If anyone in Messiah, new creation. If anyone in Messiah, new creation. This is this new creation. We talked about this last week and the week before. The old has gone. This is that old creation. The new creation has come. So to be in Christ is to be new creation and to live that out in this world. 
It's here. It's now. It's not just this future thing that we partake in. Right now, we can live in this. And verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled to us himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul doesn't say that God needed reconciling to us from what he did. Rather, it was us walking away from God. And yet, God took the initiative to restore and to reconcile. He took the first step towards us. If any of you um, have had challenging relationships where there's a split, there's a conflict, there's a break, and you need to forgive and reconcile, but it's hard. It's especially hard to be the first person to take that move. And yet that's what God does for us. He didn't do any wrong, and yet he makes the first move to reconcile for us through his son. And we receive that through the grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 19, God was reconciling the world, all of it, to himself in the Messiah, not counting their sins against them. This was the Messiah's great work and the start of that great work through him to bring reconciliation to everything. Now, Paul is saying himself that he's not primarily a philosopher. He's not primarily a teacher, but he, in fact, is a reconciler. That's the role he is given. And it's the role we are given as Christ's ambassadors to be workers with God in that reconciliation. We've been entrusted as followers of Jesus to this work of reconciliation. So our failures, right, our sin do not prevent God from reaching to us reconciling with us and giving us the work of reconciliation. See, his point is that the cross has liberated us from sin. So we can be God-reflecting, image-bearing ambassadors to this world. That restoration of that original calling that we had. See, Jesus was innocent, but he died the death of a guilty person. And this isn't sort of a, the pagan view of, of, offer, you know, of an angry God offering a sacrifice because he's mad. It's a story of love, a story of covenant love, a story of the Godhead itself, loving humanity and willingly wanting to redeem and reconcile it. It's the story of a love that the world did not know the most powerful force, that God is love, and this love has power to do the redeeming, to do the reconciling, this self-giving love. We had referenced C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia uh, last week or the week before, and this, that story of Aslan and that power that happens as he offers his love to redeem, to break the curse of the land. Now, Evil things must be, have their power taken away. How, how does evil's power get lessened in this? So remember that humans gave their power to created things when they followed the serpent, when they wanted to be their own gods, right? So when the Messiah has been made sin for us, 
right? He is taking that upon himself. He was allowing us, instead of following created things, to follow him, removing the power of that created things, removing the power and the breakage that happens with that idolatry. And he opens up the ministry of reconciliation that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, there are many images for and, and stories in, in Scripture that talk about what happened on the cross. I'm not going to spend too much time here. Um, we may have a part two of, of sin and salvation near the end of the series if, if we want to go more into this. But there are lots of ways that that power is talked about. How did that happen Last week and this week, we looked at the Colossians 1 and, and today the 2 Corinthians 5 passage that what happened was reconciliation, and reconciliation is a relational word. When we have a break, when we have a conflict with one another, we have to reconcile. So it's told in these relational terms, and Christ allows and creates a pathway for that reconciliation. Another way that it is talked about is it was a once and for all sacrifice. Ancient religions all practice a sacrificial system. They offered up um, animals and, and sometimes even fellow humans. They had this idea of there is a God. How do we appease this God? And God steps into that system. God didn't create a sacrificial system, but he, he allows the Hebrews to know, you know what, you don't have to be guessing. This is what you can offer this is how you can create space for us to have relationship together. And then the author of Hebrews says, Jesus was that once and for all sacrifice. There is no longer any need for sacrifice. Now, sacrifice maybe doesn't connect to us. We, maybe nobody here grew up in a sacrificial system, but this would have been part of what they understood from their own faith. It's talked about as justification, and this is a legal term you know, for courtroom and judges of guilt and punishment. And Paul says that Jesus has paid the price for us, the debt of our sin, so we can go free. So we're justified. It's talked about as victory over death in 1 Timothy 1 and, and John 5, that, that Jesus destroyed death. He had victory over the grave. We just celebrated that a few weeks ago with Easter. He overcame old creation. He was victorious over old creation. And then finally, redemption. Redemption is a word of business and finance and economics. To redeem something is to give it worth again, to revalue it, to, to buy it back. And Jesus says, you are worth it. You have value I want you back. I have searched for you, and I have redeemed you. So it's not so much important that we understand exactly how the cross worked, but that the cross worked, that what Jesus did worked. Over the last 2,000 years, Christians have tried to explain it in different ways from Scripture, and these are important and good to dig into um, even if we don't understand all the nuances, we can receive the benefit of what Jesus did. Okay? We'll move on from there. So, so what is sin then? You know, when I learned about sin, again, you know, the one lesson I learned and remembered in Sunday school, but um, 
you know, I was talked about if it's lying, if it's cheating, if it's being selfish, and certainly those behaviors are sin. My parents were very strict when we were younger, and so if sin is the main problem, and, and Dallas Willard talks about the gospel of sin management, we just need to sin less, right? And if sin is your main focus and your main issue, you know, you don't want to sin or you don't want to get near sin. It's really almost a message of you better withdraw from the world or anything that might lead you down that road. And so one of the things for our church we went to that could lead us down that road of sin was watching movies. Now, I was four years old when the first Star Wars came out. I wanted to see that movie. No chance. My older brother was 10, and he really wanted to see that movie. My parents were like, no, no movies for you. Now, when we were six, we, we moved to California, went to a different church. Movies were okay. So got the green light and started going to movies. But my brother didn't see Star Wars in its original release way back then, and he still brings that up as, I can't believe you guys didn't let me see Star Wars. <laughs> It has lingered with him, right? Now, now of course, lying and, and cheating and being selfish are wrong, but there's really a deeper meaning to sin. And I love this definition, a failure to accomplish a purpose or, or missing the mark. This, this Greek word, amartia, kind of missing the mark. Imagine shooting an arrow at a bullseye and it doesn't hit the center. So sin is, is much deeper than just making a mistake. It's, it's I have failed to accomplish a purpose. Now, we might think, you know, every behavioral thing that we do is, is what God is most concerned about. And, and God's mad when we, when we mess up, when I break a law, if I've lusted or if I've cheated. And, and God is mad, but sin is so much deeper. Those are sort of outward expressions of that. Have you ever been taught that the sin primarily is about not being fully human? About not living out your purpose? See, we are dehumanized because of sin. And salvation is meant to make us fully human, image bearers of God, to image God in all of his goodness for ourselves, for the world. See, heaven is where we become more fully human. And and hell is really where we become less fully human. And we can experience both of those things right now. See, our sin is both personal and communal. It disrupts the whole. It disrupts our relationship with God, with ourself, with one another, with systems of governance and economics, with culture, with how we treat creation. And God's salvation plan is to restore all of those things. Paul's concern is that God's plan, his whole plan is in jeopardy because we have failed to worship him alone, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And just as Adam and Eve gave up their original vocation, began to give power to created things, we can do that the same. Anytime we place something above God in terms of value to our lives, it's idolatry, right? Sin is not simply just breaking moral codes. It's far more deep. It's missing the mark of genuine humanness, which is worship to our God. 
See, the problem is not just that humans have misbehaved and deserve punishing. The problem is their idolatry, coming to an expression in sin and having it impact everything around us. Idolatry is anything you seek to give what only God can give. And this quote from Tim Keller, I think, is helpful. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. Paul echoes a similar message in Romans 1.25 when he says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. See, if we have an incomplete view of sin, if we have a limited view of sin, then we have a limited view of salvation, right? We can reduce sin to behaviors, then we just stop those behaviors. And the gospel for us, as Dallas Willard said, becomes about sin management. I, I love what he says here in this quote, does Jesus only enable me to make the cut when I die? Or to know what to protest or how to vote or agitate and organize. Is, is that all that Jesus has done? Is that the extent of our gospel? And of course, his answer is no. There's something much deeper. Because if we think of salvation as primarily getting our ticket to heaven, then we've missed God's message. We don't have the true gospel. It's an incomplete view of salvation. So how do you become a Christian? I think, you know, with that understanding on that first image of, you know, um, earth and judgment, heaven and hell, I, I would have and could give you a 30-second answer, right? Justin, Jesus Christ, confess your sins, believe in him as Lord and Savior, and follow him, right? And then you're restored. That leads you to heaven. You've got your ticket. Now, there's some good things in that answer, but it's missing quite a bit. What if I asked you, how do you get married? What is marriage like? And I said, well, you have to find somebody to marry. You have to go register, you know, at the court. You have to go and you have to say vows and you have to sign the certificate. You need a witness there. Boom, you're married. Would that be complete? It wouldn't be wrong, right? But it would be so inadequate of an explanation about what marriage is. You would have to tell a story, right? You would have to give a narrative about what it's like to, to love somebody, right? What it's like to, to draw near to them. Sacrifice, love, disappointment, highs and lows, so it's much more robust. It involves, of course, belief, right? It involves how we live. It involves both our individual lives and our community. So let's talk a little bit about what is salvation. What are we saved from? These last two weeks, we've kind of looked at we're saved from old creation. We're saved from these old ways of doing things. A word for salvation in the New Testament is sozo, which is a similar, same word for healing. It's this complete healing, this, this restoration. It's not rescued from, from you know, stopping to sin. It's rescued and restored to having that image restored. See, old creation dynamics, we, we might label them as common sense. It's how the world works. It's our business practices. It's 
the world is so impacted with this type of thinking, right? It might be making ourselves of the center of our universe. Might makes right, right? Taking advantage of others for our own benefit. Looking out for number one. We are born into old creation. It is, in fact, how the world works, but it's not how the world is supposed to work. We are saved from that, Paul tells us. That's why Paul is always warning us against old creation dynamics. We need to be on guard for them in our own lives. What are old creation dynamics? Exclusion, malice, wrath, greed, selfishness, right? Those things are all bound to be destroyed. When we engage in them, we put ourselves at risk of being destroyed by them as well. We're saved from death. We saw that Jesus had victory over death, right? But sin is its own sort of penalty. It's its own punishment. Sin consumes itself. Why should we avoid pornography? Not just because it exploits women, but lust consumes itself. It's like greed. There's never enough. It always demands, right? You begin to sacrifice to get more. That's a step of idolatry. See, when we're warned against sinning, it's not that God wants to sort of kill our fun. He knows what it can lead to in our lives. He's saying when you engage in those things like revenge and jealousy and pride, it opens you up to the powers and principalities in this world. It pulls you back into old creation ways of doing things, of self-centeredness, of me first. Soon, sin will consume itself. It will exhaust itself. It will demand more and more and give less and less. Now, God will eventually take every old creation dynamic, everything that does not fit into new creation, injustice, and evil, and it will be cast into a lake of fire, Revelation 21 says. We'll go more into what that looks like in three weeks' time. We will be saved from death, but the whole of creation will be saved from decay. God is not satisfied with the few people in his new creation. He wants everything that he has created. So this is what we're saved from, but what are we saved to? We're rescued from old creation. We're rescued from death, but we're also saved for something. We're saved to something. New creation, we talked about that last week as well. N.T. Wright says it this way, the hope of the Bible isn't salvation to heaven, but to new creation. New creation is talked about in the Bible as, as life in the spirit, right? Forgiveness of sins, all of these things are saying the, the new thing. There's a new creation way to live. Jesus lays it out in the Sermon on the Mount. Paul talks about flesh in a way that is, is talking about old creation. He talks about spirit in a way that reflects new creation. So we're saved to this new way of being, and we're saved to be a community that walks in that. We're also saved to union with Christ, to have relationship with Christ. And this happens through the Holy Spirit. Christ ascended and sent his spirit so that we could all receive it. Next week is Pentecost where we sort of celebrate the giving of the spirit. This is how new creation is implanted in us through the power of the Holy Spirit as we partner with God. 
We're saved to our original vocation that we received all the way back in Genesis. Now, Pastor Brenda's going to share next week on this, so I'm not going to share any more on that. But we're also, as this passage in 2 Corinthians says, we are saved for a ministry of reconciliation, right? I was having like this thought experiment this week. If, if I never sinned in my relationship, would that be enough to, to have a good relationship? Would Erica be satisfied in my relationship if I just never sinned? Well, she, she would probably love it if I never sinned, right? But that wouldn't nurture a relationship. That would be like a baseline of, of not harming somebody, but it doesn't nourish a relationship. Not sinning doesn't nourish our relationship with God, with systems, right? Those are a piece of that, but God wants to do something more powerful in us. We have to recover our original blessing from God in the garden, the original vocation of being image bearers in this world, right? We have to resist the ways old creation wants to get into our lives and to drive us away. Things like selfishness, excluding others, right? These things are self-destructive. So what does relationship look like? We, we unpacked this a little bit last week, so I'm not going to spend too much time with them today. But this salvation, this ministry of reconciliation, redeems and restores broken relationships with God, with others, with ourself. See, one of the flaws of my earlier view of salvation is that was all about me, really, my personal salvation, my personal holiness. It, it did not look to the community. And what does that look like for us? See, the church is a bunch of old creation people trying to live new creation lives, embracing new creation, pushing back against destructive habits and patterns in this world. We have to work this out. It does not come naturally to live a new creation. Paul says in many times he's, he's at struggle with himself to do the right thing, to live in this new creation. But the only way to work this out is in community. In community with people that are different from us, people that maybe it's not as easy to get along with, people that provide for us opportunities for new creation to take work in our hearts and in our lives. This is the only way we can work it out is in community. Restore, restoration with systems and culture. Systems of, of laws, let's say, in the U.S. on gun control is on my heart this week. But laws maybe around the globe that discriminate against asylum seekers and, and refugees restores relationship with creation and how we care for what God has given us. Salvation is really integrating who God is and what he is into all areas of our lives. Dallas Willard says it this way, his intent for us is to learn to mesh our kingdom with the kingdom of others. Love of neighbor rightly understood will make this happen. But we can only love adequately by taking as our primary aim the integration of our rule with God's. This is that heaven and earth coming together. We don't do it on our own. We certainly need God's help. So we seek to partner with God in his work, in our lives, and in this world, bringing heaven to earth. Now, we've covered a lot <laughs> today, 
and there's a lot packed into each of these weeks, but these things are not just theoretical, right? It's not just I have this idea about salvation and sin, but I know that we actually live it out. We're going to have a time of prayer um, in just a moment here, and a time where the worship team is playing and um, offering a song, and we want to give you the opportunity to really be ministered to in this time. And you might be ministered um, just by having a seat and, and reflecting, but I know if you're like me, I am always battling against old creation. I am always battling against these ways of being that I don't want anymore. And, and Satan would love to just tell me, you know what, you're on your own on this, you know. God doesn't really love you. There's no hope for redemption. And, and God's word is, I searched for you. I came after you. You are worth redeeming, and I want to reconcile you. And so we want to give a time during um, this next song. If you want to be prayed for, I'll invite our prayer ministers up here. Um, and just come forward, prayer ministers, and Pastor Brenda as well. If you want to be prayed for during this time, you can be prayed for. Our communion elements will be up here. I would invite you to come and receive those elements. Um, At least pick them up. Don't take them yet. Pastor Brenda in a few minutes will lead us through communion. Um, God desires reconciliation. He wants to save us from our sin. He doesn't want us to be alone in that. And so we invite you to have a time of connecting with God. Maybe it's in confession. Maybe it's to be prayed for. Maybe there's somebody on your heart that you want to be prayed for, but we want you to make use of this time. God, we want to take steps of freedom today. Your grace is so overwhelming and so powerful. It upends the ways of this world, God. It bursts forth into new creation ways, and you want us to experience that grace and to experience that freedom. So we invite you in, Jesus, to this time in your name. Amen.